be acceptable and pleasing to you. May they help us recognizing your voice, hearing that voice, and listening for your will. Pour your Holy Spirit into me and all of us as we gather in every place. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. The people of God said together, Amen. I welcome you to watch us uh, to look at the version event and be able to pull that up and to see that. If you looked for it earlier and didn't see it, it didn't get posted till later, but there is, it is up there now. You should be able to see it and be able to find it, and Rick will tell me if that isn't the case eventually at some point. I don't know about you, but right now, through all the social media streams like we just talked about, the news on the TV and in a world that is changing not only day by day, but sometimes hour by hour, I am finding it hard to focus on Jesus' voice. Among so many other voices clamoring for my attention. It was then that I started looking at what was happening to the disciples after Easter when I was planning the sermon series out right after Easter. As they were paralyzed with fear found it hard to decide what to do next. They had listened to Jesus' voice to guide them and encourage them. What would they do now? But as always, and it's still true today, Jesus never abandoned them. And he was speaking to them. And he is still speaking to us. But maybe you're asking, how do I listen? How do I recognize it's him? How do I know when Jesus speaks? Are you having a hard time hearing hope right now? We're on a journey as we recognize and encounter Jesus as he appears to his disciples over 50 days. And that we find out how we too can hear and recognize his voice today during difficult times. Rick started us off last week when Jesus appeared to his disciples and we heard these words from John. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. When Jesus breathed the Spirit into his crazy, scared disciples in that room with the bolted door, he breathed new life into them with power and authority. And everyone was there but Thomas. Verse 24, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I love this picture. It just makes me laugh. You've got Jesus just saying, hey. You've got Simon saying, how on earth is he in the meeting? And you've got Thomas saying, unless he turns on his camera, I will not believe it. That's why it's important, folks, when you're on those Zoom meetings, 
to have the camera on so your boss knows you're not just in the other room, not paying attention. Rick, I'm looking at you. Thomas was not present when Jesus made his appearance to the eleven. Perhaps Thomas stepped out for some reason, or he just wasn't with him at the time. And the eleven was a term used as a general description of the group of disciples once Judas had died. Thomas was not with the disciples in Shiva, that period of mourning that Rick talked about last week, when Jesus first appeared to them. We don't know why Thomas wasn't with his colleagues. But for whatever reason, whatever reason, Thomas separated himself from the community. And he missed the moment. He missed hearing and seeing Jesus. And when we were in despair and in doubt, the worst thing you can do is separate yourself from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? When you're in despair and doubt, the worst thing you can do is separate yourself from your brothers and sisters in Christ, like right now. Stay connected. If your group's not meeting, find another group to be a part of for right now. You can always go back to your other group. Stay connected in your Sunday school classes that are online, your small groups, Bible studies. Join me on the Connection Couch on Tuesdays and Thursdays or in class on Wednesday nights. We need to stay connected individually and collectively. Cards, calls are one thing. Being together as a group on a Zoom call or whatever else is something entirely different. Your brain chemistry will actually make you think you are actually in person with that, per- with that person on the call. Happened to me lots of times. I'm like, I see a face and I'm like, I feel like I just saw them. Well, I did just see them online, not in person. But you tricks your brain to thinking that. You will feel more connected. I, I guarantee it. I want to shout out, especially because I forgot in first service, but I want to shout out to Mike Morris's group. Mike Morris's group of older adults has gone to freeconferencecall.com And they have figured out how to get almost everybody in their group online. Mike is a rock star. Mike has worked through it. He has had technological challenges. And he has kept it because it's that important to be connected. And Mike, if you're watching, I honor you. Because that is just amazing work. My heart smiled when I found out that word. I hope your heart smiles in the same way. Thank you, my friend, for being a dedicated servant of God in that way. You see, you see and hear your way to Jesus through the witness of others and in company with him. Don't be so preoccupied with what's missing in your past that you fail to see and nourish your present connection to Christ. We cannot weep over the days continuously of what's happened and are never coming back again. We have to be in the present now and find God in the now. Because God is here. And find God in the future as things continue to change. Because the one thing that will not change is God's presence in our lives. Amen? Amen. And when the disciples told the missing Thomas what happened, he insisted on believing the impossible only when he could touch the spear-pierced side and eyeball the wounds. You see, their words need 
his wounds. If you're following along in the U version app, you might have realized something's different this week. I am no longer filling in everything for you. I am going to have you fill in the blanks and put it in your notes and then save the event so you have it later on or write it down somewhere. I've been too easy on you over the, over the last years, and I just feel like you need to do a little work at home now. So we're not going to be putting in all those blanks anymore. You can fill them in as we talk about them. They're all up on the slides or in my words. And Thomas says this, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Those are strong words, aren't they? John 20, 26 tells us that Thomas had to wait another eight days for Jesus to appear to the group again. When Thomas wasn't present, he missed out on the experience of the risen Christ. Either he was in the wrong place at the wrong time or purposely separated himself from the band of disciples. Because here's the thing about grief that we all forget. And many of you are grieving right now in different ways. And I am speaking to you and to all of us. We all grieve differently. And they're all okay. But even though he was not there, the eleven did not discipline him or scold him or expel him. They held on to him even when he was held in the grip of doubt and disbelief. Remember that. When those around you are in doubt and disbelief, hold on to them. Don't condemn them. And at the end of the week, when Thomas was back sitting Shiva again with the disciples, Jesus made a special appearance and repeated the first upper room scenario as if it was just for Thomas. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then speaking directly to Thomas, he says, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and feel my side. And put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. We'll never know in this life whether Thomas touched Jesus or not. It doesn't say, although it's interesting that the first viewing all the disciples were at besides Thomas, the other disciples did look and didn't get chastised for looking at his wounds. But whether he did or didn't, Jesus invited him to feel free to explore his thorn-pierced brow, his nail-scarred hands, his spear-thrust side, and his spike-torn feet. Both Mary Magdalene and Thomas wanted to touch Jesus' body. Remember on Easter, Mary was told not to hold on to him too long or do not touch. Thomas was told it was okay to touch. But once Thomas could, maybe he no longer needed to. Jesus doesn't say the same thing to each one of his followers. Remember that. He speaks to all of us differently. Thomas was known as Thomas Didymus, the twin. That's what it means. The twin of each of us, maybe? Author Len Sweet says, The doubt comes with a twin, faith. 
Like Thomas, Didymus, doubt and faith are twinned. They're always found together. The opposite of doubt is not faith, but certainty, which banishes faith. Faith without doubt is not a living faith, but a dead certainty. Let me say that again. Faith without doubt is not a living faith, but a dead certainty. The important thing anyway is not knowing how to hear Jesus, but actually hearing him. You can have your doctrine correct, your orthodoxy right. You can know your creeds and still not know Jesus. Amen? But Thomas knew the challenging voice of Jesus. And when Thomas did come back, he uttered one of the greatest confessions of faith of Jesus found in the New Testament. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. But why did Jesus make it a point to visit Thomas after the resurrection? After all, the rest of us didn't get to go see the risen Savior standing before us. Why should he? Jesus made a special trip just to speak to the one who demanded a sign or proof. Isn't that what every disciple since the first twelve has secretly wished for at one time or another? Give me just a special word, a personal sign, a secret visit. Prove to me that God exists and I will believe. But there's nothing in the scripture here in John or anywhere else that leads us to believe that Thomas would have been treated differently by the disciples had he never seen Christ resurrected. There's no hint of any exclusion that might have occurred had Thomas not been able to touch the wounds of Christ. There is no reason to claim that possibility exists. But for one thing, human nature and history. We fallen human beings have a long and storied history of excluding others because they do not believe as we do. Whether we didn't believe that the bread changed into the body of Christ or what we thought it should be or because this group over here, they dunk when they baptize and we sprinkle. We have found some reason to disbelieve the unbeliever. We have expressed our us versus them from our political platforms all the way back to the playgrounds. Excluding people from our group because they were different or because they didn't believe as we do. Why then would it come as any surprise to consider that Thomas was destined to become the odd man out for being the one disciple who hadn't witnessed the resurrection How would you like to be the one disciple who hasn't witnessed the resurrection? Would there not, maybe not intentionally perhaps, arise at some point in the decisions and discussions between the disciples a certain wonder as to why Jesus never came to see Thomas? Perhaps a blaming of Thomas for not being where he was supposed to be. A lessening of his apostolic authority. Well, Thomas wasn't there for that. Maybe we shouldn't give him that to do. Maybe he wasn't worthy. Maybe Jesus was trying to tell us them something. Maybe Thomas's quickness to doubt was a real indication of his faith, like we always pin on Thomas. But Jesus' visit silences all those voices, you see. 
It's only when we recognize the human trait of exclusion as a fairly predictable phenomenon that we may understand the miracle of Christ's special visitation to Thomas. You see, the purpose of the visitation was not so much for proof as it was for restoring Thomas back to the community. To restore Thomas back to the community. Thomas eventually would have found his faith in Jesus, even if Jesus had not appeared to him personally. But would he ever have found his equal standing with his brothers? Was it the doubt within Thomas that Jesus was addressing? Or ultimately, the doubt among others about Thomas that Jesus decided to set straight? You see the difference there? Let's hear the master speak to Thomas and challenge him to touch his wounds again. And then Len Sweet suggests, what if Jesus turned and looked at the other disciples and said the last verse in 29 to them? Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What if Jesus wasn't directing those words to Thomas? but to the rest of the disciples and us. Suddenly, it becomes a challenge for the community rather than a chastisement to the individual. It's a request that his followers have enough faith to believe that others may also be disciples without having to witness actual proof every time. Alfred Lord Tennyson said, There lives more faith and honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. There lives more faith and honest doubt than in half the creeds. So practically speaking, how do we hear and recognize God's voice when we don't have a personal up-close experience like Thomas or the disciples? Well, we understand that God primarily speaks to us through the Scriptures. And by our spiritual instincts. God also speaks to us through the body of Christ. Through our conscience. And through wisdom and vision and dreams like Rick talked about last week. So the question after that is. How do I discern the difference between when the Lord speaks. And when the thought comes from some other source. 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 11, where God is speaking to Samuel and Samuel doesn't recognize God's voice, reminds us that when the Lord speaks to us, we don't always recognize it, do we? So we need an Eli, the one who helped him. We need a virtual Eli assistant to help us recognize and respond to the Lord speaking. One of those is Leonard Sweet's book, Jesus Speaks which is what this sermon series is based on. In that book, they say there are four chief ways we can discern the Lord's voice from our own and that of others. The content, disposition, the confidence, and the impression. First, the content. Say content at home. Very well, I heard you. That was great content. When Jesus speaks to you through your thoughts, it doesn't sound any different from your own thoughts. What's different, however, is the content of those thoughts. 
Content from the Lord will always be in harmony with Scripture. It will never contradict it. Jesus' present speaking will always be consistent with what He said in the past. It will bear the marks of giving and self-sacrifice, which is love. The love fulfills the law and the prophets. In addition, the content will often shed light on the person of Jesus Himself. Appearing to Thomas and how He did it, it said a lot about Jesus, didn't it? Second, disposition. Say disposition. You have a great disposition. That is awesome. When the Lord speaks to you, it will never be out of arrogance or jealousy or anger or anxiety. Instead, the Lord's speaking comes to us with a spirit of peacefulness, goodwill. Jesus gave us a perfect description of the disposition of the Lord's voice when he wrote this from James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. In that connection, Jesus never accuses or condemns his followers. I mean, look at Thomas. Condemnations are the mark of the enemy's voice. Do you know what the word devil actually means? Anyone? It means slanderer. By contrast, when Jesus points out someone in our lives, something in our lives he wants us to deal with, his correction comes with love, hope. Third, the confidence. Say confidence. That was very confident. Thank you so much. When the Lord speaks to us through our thoughts, emotions, or desires, what he says possesses the ring of truth. That resonates with us. In other words, we have confidence or faith to believe the Lord is speaking to us. Jesus' voice is then almost an inward knowing that we hear. But if you have no faith to believe that a thought, a feeling, a desire, or an impulse is coming from Christ, then it probably isn't. If you're not confident, it's probably not. And fourth, the impression. Say impression. You have made a great impression on me today. Thank you, all of you. There is a certain impression that Jesus' voice makes on us. His speaking will be accompanied by life, inspiration, and peace, serenity in our hearts. So when determining whether Jesus is speaking to you, look for a sense of life and peace. The effect of his speaking into your life will often be rest, peace, Quiet joy and assurance. Do you know what the Greek word for enthusiasm means? Ten seconds for the home audience. It means possessed by God. A strong excitement or emotion that compels us to act. On the other hand, whenever we step out of the will of God, we will have a sense of death in us. Our spirits will be troubled and disturbed. There are, these are the four characteristics that will help you determine whether you're hearing the Lord's voice. The content of what's said. The disposition that accompanies it. The confidence we have that it's the Lord. And the impression it makes on us. 
May you hear God's challenging voice to your life right now that forces you to get outside of your comfort zone and to move into new places, to, to know that Jesus is real and that He is present with us and that He encourages you. And even in your doubts, it's okay. It's okay to doubt. There is so much to be found, found in honest doubts. And Jesus comes alongside of us in those times too. May you recognize and hear when Jesus speaks in your life. Amen. And as we've been doing, we're going to invite the praying of Psalm 91 for 91 days. How are you doing at home? How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you getting one out of two maybe a day, once a week? At least you're going to have at least once a week what you're going to do it. I invite you to set an alarm at 9, 10 a.m., 9, 10 p.m. You might get lucky and hit one of those and you'll be in good shape. But we're going to pray this prayer together. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the rest that comes when I choose to live in your shelter. I declare you alone are my refuge, my place of safety. You are my God. I trust in you. I pray you will protect me and my family from the virus. I pray you will cover me and shelter me. I thank you for your faithful promises that remind you will protect me. Help me not to be afraid of all that I hear and all that I see. Help me not to dread the virus that is terrorizing our world. Lord, many are sick and more are fearful and anxious. I pray protection for me, my family, my church, my community, my city, my state, my country, my continent, and my world. I pray, Lord, as I make you my refuge, that no evil will conquer us nor come near our home. I pray for protection by your angels wherever I go. Lord, I love you. I trust you. Please rescue and protect me. Thank you for answering when I call. Thank you for being with me in trouble. Thank you for salvation and the hope of heaven. Amen. And let us join together in our hymn of commitment as we begin to close this service.
receive these words of encouragement. From Nehemiah 4.9. Nehemiah who said, We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Max from his new study that I'll be teaching, you'll get through this, says, We need to pray and post. We need to trust and act. Trust God to do what we can't. Obey God and do what you can. Don't let this crisis paralyze you. Don't let the sadness overwhelm you. Don't let the fear intimidate you. To do nothing is the wrong thing. To do something is the right thing. And to believe is the highest thing. And now may you shelter not only in place but in peace. And may the comfort and peace of Christ be with you now and forevermore. We love you. We miss you. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thank you.